As older adults with vision loss, we understand your fears, your frustrations, and feelings of isolation. The Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss is here to help you as you pursue the independent lifestyle you deserve. For more information, visit www.aaval-blind-seniors.org or call 916-995-3967 for more information. AAVL, a supporter of the ACB Media Network. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. And hello, everybody. I'm Larry Gassman, your host, also your streamer. So that means that I don't have to introduce anybody except Alan Holtz, who is our facilitator. And uh, he's going to do things just a tad differently than we do them sometimes as we talk about Medicare. It should be fun. I want to do this first. I want to actually talk about raising hands first, and then we'll throw it to Alan. So, so get your get your Braille writers and your Braille senses out to take down the following information. To raise your hand on the PC, it's Alt-Y. That's a toggle, so Alt-Y once raises it. Alt-Y again will lower it. To mute or unmute, it's a toggle. It's Alt-A. That's for the PC. If you're on the Mac, raising and lowering your hands is Option-Y. To mute or unmute is Command-Shift-A. On the iPhone, to raise your hand or lower your hand, it's in the right-hand corner under More. And then to mute or unmute is in the left-hand corner. And if you have a phone, just a regular old phone, star 9 will raise or lower your hand. Star 6 will mute or unmute. So this all started probably maybe a month ago. I'm president of Orange County's CCB chapter. And Alan was there. Uh, we talked about Medicare for people who who wanted to know more and we did probably 40 minutes and people loved it they thought it was great it was uh it it, well he'll talk about some of that in terms of why he's able to do what he does if he wants to but it, it worked out so well that we said let's see if we can extend this to one of the acb community calls we did and this is the first of two sessions which will take place tonight and next week at nine eastern six pacific and to I, I can't say that he's going to necessarily facilitate through lecture form because it's a lot of interaction with you and with him, and uh, it should be fun. So let me welcome and introduce Alan Holtz. Thank you, Larry. I really appreciate you uh, hosting this and streaming it. And I don't know about you guys, but I think of this as infrastructure. Um, I know the subject that I'm going to talk about pretty well, but you know, the truth is if I had to manage the infrastructure and talk about what I'm going to talk about, I wouldn't have enough hands. I can't move to enough Braille and move to all these things simultaneously. And I really want to keep the topic in the foreground and it's a complex topic. Uh, so I really appreciate Larry handling the infrastructure um, and I, but I do want it to be extremely interactive. So as Larry said, you can raise your hands and I, I don't want any long answers, but can somebody give me a definition of crowdsourcing? Yeah, there are eight people so far. Okay. So can one of the eight people give me a good definition of crowdsourcing? 
Don't see anybody hand anybody's hand up. Thus Interesting. Far. Not yet. Okay, I'm not trying to square scare anybody. Let's try this a little differently. Um, let's play question or answer. If you have a question, you want to make sure that you get answered in this session. You can raise your hand now and ask that question. I won't necessarily answer it right now, but I want to make sure it gets covered in one of these two sections. And if you don't want to ask a que- if you don't want to ask me a question, I will ask you a question. But the first one's going to be a good definition of crowdsourcing. How about now, Larry? Uh, no, not yet. Okay. Do not see any hands. Interesting. Okay. Well, then we'll skip that part. Um, my motivation for doing this is really simple, guys. Um, I am a retired insurance agent. I took the training to sell Medicare Advantage. And uh, I understand it as a consumer very differently than I understood it as a representative or a broker. And when I watch television or hear uh, on the news or commercials, politicians talk about it, you know, in the first place, I don't think it's often easy for us to understand the materials that are put out because they are quite graphic. Um, the second thing is, though, I don't think anybody is lying because they are very carefully managed and monitored by Medicare, uh, Medicare itself. And you can get in a lot of trouble if you lie about Medicare. However, what they do is tell only a piece of the story. So if you're only hearing a piece of the story, I can certainly understand that if you watch some of these commercials, they want you to come to a certain conclusion. And you don't necessarily hear the whole story so that you can make an intelligent decision. So what I'm hoping to do today is to give you good information. I certainly don't want to get political, but uh, I, I think it's almost impossible to talk about this without touching on politics i'm going to walk away from anything i can on that subject but i think you need to understand that a lot of what you hear has a a bent and if you tell me who's saying it i'll tell you why they're saying it um but the last thing i want to do is help you take really good control of your medicare benefits because they are spectacular but they are complicated And everybody in this discussion has a very different perspective, uh, partially because they they are going to profit or benefit in some way. So uh, step one is, uh, or thing one is, I am very grateful for the system we have. Two is it's very complicated. Three is when you have some definite understanding of what is here, you can take more control of your system or at least use it a little bit better. I'm going to try this hand-raising thing again because I'm still kind of getting used to this medium. But the other day, I went to the drugstore. And there was a woman who was probably in her 80s standing next to me who was asked for uh, information about her insurance. And she said, well, I have Medicare. Now, I would say that it was like going to a a, uh, soda fountain and saying, I want a soda. What's wrong with that answer? Can anybody tell me what's wrong with the answer of I have Medicare? Well, I could tell you a lot of times Medicare doesn't cover a lot of things. Okay, that's one answer. Good. I want to hear another. That's a good answer. Let's hear more. 
That, that, is, that is an answer as to why she might not have gotten coverage, but that didn't help the clerk behind the counter. She doesn't know what type of Medicare she has. Good. She doesn't have a, it would have been helpful if she had said, I want, if she had gone up to a soda counter and said, I want a diet, Mr. Pibb, then that clerk would have known what to do, right? Yes. We have effectively the same situation. We use Medicare as this huge term, but it has very specific definitions for different participation, uh, different participants in this system. And so I'm hoping that one of the things that uh, will come from this discussion is uh, your ability as consumers to make better use of the program because you understand the objective of the provider. That provider needed to bill her insurance company and to check on her benefit. It may or may not have covered what she had. And if it did, her copay may have been different depending on what plan she had. So um, that's, that's my first uh, big learning here is that when you use the term Medicare, Make very sure that you think of the objective of your provider and make sure that your provider knows which specific brand, if you will, or, or flavor of Medicare you have, and you will have much more success. Let's think about this historically. If we go back to our grandparents or perhaps our great-grandparents, when they needed medical care, in fact, my, my wife uh, often talks about her uh, grandparents who had a ranch and they would say, well, if one of our kids are injured, we'll just sell a cow, right? So the physicians were paid directly by the consumer. Uh, they, they, it was a contract between the consumer and the physician. And what's wrong with that system? Anybody tell me why that's not the best system in the world? Because you are not dealing with an insurance company and the insurance company knows exactly what is covered by your particular insurance that you have. Okay. Like Medicare, I have A and B. I don't have D. Or now there's C. And I'm trying to figure out okay, we're gonna I get, need to get it. Right. We're going to get to and, that. We're, I like this answer. We're going to get to that. But specifically, why would someone, if you have five farmers in a county, one of their kids breaks a leg, why is that not a good system? Because they, it's not what they do anymore. Well, that's true. But the reason it's not a good system is that they weren't sharing risk. If there were 10 farmers, one of them had a child who broke their leg, they weren't splitting that cost over the 10 farmers. They were doing only one of those farmers was paying it, and he may or may not have had the money to do it. It wasn't good for the farmer. It also wasn't good for the physician because he didn't know if he was going to get paid. So that was the system that we had when Social Security came in in 1933 and established essentially a system that we are we benefit from today. Now, 
Um, some of you may remember, if you're old enough, it, was anybody, raise your hand if you were born during the Eisenhower administration. How many hands, Larry? Nobody, but I was one. Nobody. Wow. And there are others. Okay. Oh, two now. Okay. Two. Two. Okay. Two people have uh, were born during the Eisenhower administration. If you were, you may have read about or heard about his speech in 1960 about the military-industrial complex. Does anybody know what that was about? That was about the idea that the federal government was the main customer for a whole industry, and they were making that industry grow exponentially by their investment. And I think he was absolutely right about the military part, but it also we could have been foreseen to be what was going to happen to our Medicare system. In 1965, we passed Medicare. And at that point, um, we had a very, very different world. Uh, 80% of the dollars that were spent at that time on medical coverage were spent for the last three years of life. And in, if somebody had been fortunate enough in 1965 to live to, you know, past age 65, they no longer were able to purchase medical insurance because no company in their right mind wanted to buy a risk that was going to be a losing proposition. Private medical insurance companies are in the business of making money. So uh, at that point, when uh, 80% of the dollars were spent in the last three years of life, only 40% of the residents of the United States had any form of medical insurance after age 65. Imagine that. You have families with a grandparent or a parent that is extremely ill, that you are emotionally involved with, and you, you feel a need to spend your last dollar. Imagine what that did to society. So Medicare changed that whole paradigm by starting to address this problem. And the initial Medicare was Part A, which was hospital and hospice insurance, and Part B, which was fees for services, as in outpatient, as in if you went to the doctor. That was the initial plan. And the way it was financed was with a 2.5%, a 2.9% tax that was already run through the social security system. So they took the social security tax and they increased it, the payroll tax, and they increased it by 2.9% to fund this massive new plan. And that initially worked all right, but uh, it still only uh, covered uh, a, a small share of the total cost. So still much of the money that was spent for that outpatient service came out of the general budget. From the customer's standpoint, uh, it was not adequate because these costs were massive. The, the Part B was a 70-30 split and the Part A was an 80-20 split. So now imagine last three years of life, most of the medical cost, 70 to 80% of the medical cost, person has no medical insurance. Now they have Medicare, but still 
if the bill was $100,000, that family would owe somewhere between twenty dollars and $30,000 of covered expenses, to say nothing for uncovered expenses. So what came along? The insurance uh, industry is pretty good at uh, finding a need where they can make a profit, and they did. They created something called Medigap, or Medi- uh, Medigap is the most commonly used term for it. What is it? It's a plan that covers the missing 20 or 30%. So in these plans, what the insurer did is they said, if Medicare will pay for an expense, they have already made the decision about what is and isn't covered. They are taking 80, 70 to 80%, depending on the particular activity. We will cover the 20 to 30%. So now for a specific fee every month, you could begin to cover those costs. And there were 11 different plans, all supervised by Medicare, uh, 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 to uh, indicate uh, state by, they were uh, uh, run state by state to decide what uh, benefit, additional benefits would be offered. And they were uh, coded by letters. So if you in 1970 say had a parent who had medicare you could add a medigap policy and know that now uh, just like in prior days when you had you know insurance you could count on the fact that their bill would be paid pretty good system for people who had a lot of money and could afford the medigap policies Still, not a very good system for the uh, person who didn't have a lot of wealth. And who else might it not have been a good system for? Any thoughts? A real obvious one that it was not good for. Do you know any doctor or any hospital who's only in it for their own good or who doesn't have expenses? Short answer Everyone. is no. Right. Everyone. Medic, right. Medicine is a business. And we want to treat it like it is a, uh, you know, the, the, we, we see it as the emotional part of it. So uh, what, what became very contentious in the 70s and early 80s was uh, the, um, you know, was the cost of treating these extremely high medical expenses. So uh, Medigap was uh, a solution for wealthy people, but not a very good solution for people who didn't have a lot of assets. So we then came up with something called, and this was experimented with in the 70s and 80s and not finalized until the mid-90s, but something called Medicare Advantage. Does anyone have any idea what Medicare Advantage is? Okay. Medicare Advantage is a plan that is not based on a fee for service, but it is based on what is called capitation. If Medicare A and B is a la carte, Medicare C is all you can eat. If Medicare A and B says we're going to pay the hospitals and the doctors for a service, Medicare C says, you, both patient and government, are going to pay a fee per head 
and we will give them all the services they need. That's capitation. That's what Medicare Advantage does. Now, there, there are some benefits to it, and there are some downsides to it. What are the great benefits? Anybody thought any thoughts on this? Insurance companies don't like to lose money. Let's, let's remember that first. The government feels a need to cover all of these people. Let's remember that second. People are very emotional about how they spend money on medical coverage, and they want the best for themselves regardless of their ability to pay. Some policies will pay everything, and some will not, and you have to pay a monthly premium. That's right. That's that's right. Uh, So that's exactly right. So with traditional Medicare A and B, you pay a monthly premium for your for your supplement plan. With some Medicare C policies, Advantage policies, you actually can have a small premium. That is very rare, but it does happen. And with Medicare D, which is your drug policies, which we haven't come to yet, you do pay a premium. So that's right. So the consumer pays a premium for Part B, which comes out of their Medicare check. Uh, everybody has to pay that. It's $148 a year, a month, sorry. The uh, consumer can be billed an additional premium for a supplement or on their Part B policy, and in some cases on their Medicare Advantage plan. But these are different premiums. Any questions about that? Okay. So we've now made it to the year 2000. I'm sure everybody here remembers the year 2000, or at least was alive in the year 2000. And in the 2000s, we added something called Plan D, or the drug plan. This was uh, George Bush's addition to it. Plan D, or Part D, I should say, is a insurance plan to cover drugs. It is funded by premiums, partially by Medicare itself, by the federal government, and partially by uh, pharmacy and drug companies giving up a piece of their profit. So it is funded by all three sources. There are many Part D plans. There is no one answer to this. And when I was in the industry, we had something called a formulary. And a formulary is a list of drugs that Medicare has approved to be on the list and has approved the prices of, and that the customer will have cost sharing with. So you may have anywhere from one to five tiers And the plan will pay a certain part. And depending on which tier the drug is in, the consumer will pay a certain part. And an intelligent uh, agent and a good consumer will look at those formularies every year and measure them against the drugs that that consumer uses. So they will try to get you the best deal. But this is a moving target. And every year, the Insurance companies that sell Part D plans can change their formulary. So 
a good consumer is going to have to stay at this every year. And one of the criticisms, which I think is very valid, and I'm trying to not give too many opinions in this little piece here, but one of the uh, one of the criticisms of Medicare in general, and specifically of Part D, is as people are moving into a time when the world is becoming more complicated for them, the plans are becoming much more complicated to understand. And I think this is an ongoing, an ongoing and, and becoming increasingly serious problem. Alan, we do have a question from Good. Liz. Hi, um, I'm sorry, I can't plug a mic in right now. I've got a problem. Um, so I, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. My under, this goes back to your Medicare Advantage thing a minute ago. Um, I understood that Medicare Advantage, one of the drawbacks is unlike medic, straight Medicare with the copay, Medicare Advantage may not cover you as much for doctors uh, if you're out of plan and may not cover you out of a specific geographic area, and that geographic area can be quite small. Am I correct? All this is true. Let's, let's, uh, let's diagnose it. The purpose of a Medicare Advantage plan from the standpoint of the consumer is to reduce what they pay for medical insurance. So if you're a consumer and you don't want to spend $300 a month, or sometimes they're less, but the, the uh, supplements will cost anywhere from $1 to $300 a month for the rest of your life. So what I would suggest to you, if you were my client and you were turning 65, I would suggest that you look at your ability to make that payment, not just now, but for the rest of your life. Because if you pay into your supplement plan for 15 years, Uh and then you don't have the cash to pay for that supplement plan when you're 80, when you're most likely to need the help, you're going to lapse. You're not going to pay your premium. And therefore, you will lose the benefit of that copay. Now, chances... But you can switch every year, so I don't know. I mean, I could switch from, say, I was on Medicare, straight Medicare with copay, I last year. I could switch this year to Medicare Advantage or vice versa. So why does that hold true? What I, you just this said? is exactly why I wanted to have this session. I am thrilled you asked that question. Remember, there are. Uh, many perspectives on this. There's your perspective as a consumer. There's the insurance company's perspective, and there's the government's perspective. Now, if you are uh, talking about Medicare Advantage plans only, what you said is really true. If you decide that you are on traditional Medicare Part A and Part B, you can join a Medicare Advantage plan at any point. However, I mean, at any point during open enrollment, I should say. However, uh, the danger to that is you don't know when a disaster is going to happen. So you're 68 years old. You're not feeling too good. You're having a lot of pain in your stomach. You go to the doctor. The doctor says you need uh, a, you know, a, a colonoscopy and maybe you need a surgery. 
Now you have a plan if you have traditional Medicare without a supplement that is only going to pay a piece of that. Now it's going to depend on your net. We have two kinds of, of uh, additional pieces that fund. Uh, some of them are asset-based and some of them are income-based. So I'm not talking about your situation specifically because I haven't asked you anything about your income and your assets, nor will I in this conversation. But what I do want you to understand is that when you hear discussions about this subject from your friends or from the news media, they haven't asked that question either. So I would not stand in front of the door when Larry is seeing his doctor and take his, the advice that, that Larry's doctor gives to him and use it for me. Why? Because I don't have the same medical conditions that Larry does. Similarly, if you have a certain financial position, uh, the advice that is given is for a, a person in a given financial position. And without knowing that financial position, You have no idea whether that's good or bad advice. And this is particularly true with with Medicare supplements. Why? Because the insurance industry loves selling supplements. And in fact, the insurance industry makes it very easy for those of us with insurance licenses to sell supplements. They aren't as highly regulated. Advantage plans are very highly regulated. They're very highly monitored. And I probably would not be willing to do this session if I were currently contracted with a Medicare Advantage provider because Medicare is uh, an eavesdropper. They want to make very sure that uh, consumers are not lied to, and they will strip away a, an agent's ability to sell that program in a heartbeat if they think that the agents have misled someone. So now let's take it from the other angle. I am an insurance company that sells Medicare supplements. I'm not in this for my health. I'm in this for profit. I know that 70 to 80% of the dollars are going to be spent in the last years of your life. So what do I want in terms of legislation to protect me? I want the same thing a long-term care insurance company wants, and that is an annuity or a premium for a lot of years. So that at the end of this bet, I have a chance of winning. Does this make any sense? It does. And when there's a good point to break, Liz has another question. Go ahead, Liz. I want to hear yeah, a question. Um, I do want to say something about straight Medicare, though, to be perfectly upfront about this. There are a good many standard things, including standard colonoscopy charges that straight Medicare will cover to a large extent. So I I just do want to put that in. I'm not saying totally, but they will cover 80% of it in many cases. And so if it's something that standardly is required at a set time, like if your age bracket requires that you get a colonoscopy or your or your diagnosis requires, say, if you've had cancer or something, if your diagnosis requires that you get a colonoscopy every two years because instead of every 10 or something, um, they will cover a large percentage of that because it's, it, and that's written straight into the, 
Medicare thing for standard procedures. Now, if you have surgery, I don't know about that, but with things like um, the colonoscopy stuff and the standard procedures, it is it is pretty well covered. I don't disagree with you. This is a moving target. This is a a moving target, and it is going to move Um, uh, for the rest of our life. Yeah, can I just say one more thing before you um, uh, mute me again? If you have Medicare, straight Medicare, and you have a copay with a um, insurance company of some kind, one of the things you may want to find out, which will probably go into your decision-making process, is if that copayer insurance has a strong advocacy um, person who you can call up and question on bills, then you're, and you can find that out. It's hard to find that out, but if you can find that out, um, then that, that will be helpful, um, to you. Or if you have a, if you get it through a retirement plan and your retirement company has an advocate, then you are in a stronger position doing straight Medicare plus copay because you've got somebody that's going to go in and fight some in, in some enormous bill that you get. I'm not saying it, it's totally successful, but it will help. Let me restate what I think you said and see if you, if you agree that I understood you. That someone who owns a Medicare supplement not only needs a, uh, a plan that covers the dollars that are not covered by traditional Medicare, but they need someone who acts as their advocate. Is that what you uh, said? I said that the um, well, the someone who works for who who is their advocate is an official advocate who works for um, either the company who provides the supplemental insurance, which is like the Fox or, Guardian Hen House. Go ahead. Or like uh, Aetna or or uh, AARP or somebody, or they are the advocate who works for your. Um, your company that you used to work for through whom you get your Medicare. Uh, Which is not the Fox Guardian House. No, it's not. But it is an advocate, and they will, in fact, um, in many cases, advocate for you. I'm not talking about like a personal person you get to go and do that. I'm talking about an official advocate-type person. And the best one is to have somebody who works for whoever you used to work for, who was your retirement plan That's, person. It's really that critical. One, that is write, one possibility. To write and down there are, phone numbers there, before you get sick because it's going to be hard to find them if you're sick because you're going to be whizzy. One po- that is absolutely right. And that advocate could be uh, a member of your former company, as you said, or that could be something like, in this state, HICAP, which is a... Uh, an advocacy uh, organization that the, uh, is voluntary, basically, but supported by the state government. Different states have different versions of this. They're, in other states, they have something called SHIP. And these are organizations that will indeed uh, advocate for you, but uh, they still need to work within the rules of the Medicare supplement that you purchased. Uh, and as you, I think, rightly indicated, it does add a high degree of complexity to to a claims situation. So I'm I'm
Okay, there we go. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, this is a complicated subject. Um, so, am I unmuted? You are. Yes. Okay. Phew. Um, we were we were discussing this idea of the advocates, and yes, there are companies that have. Uh, advocates for former employees there is the high cap system in california there is the ship system uh, in other states these are all possible advocates but a contract that you will sign with a medicare supplement insurance company still is uh, a a a document that will define confine their ability to respond uh and they're going to answer their uh, your 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 claim based on whether it falls within your contract or not. So I don't disagree with you, and this is why I wanted to do this session because when I hear people talk about Medicare, the thing that frustrates me the most is that they often are not talking about the same thing, or they have an, an agenda, and I really. I don't have a specific agenda when I talk about this other than trying to make sure that people understand the implications of the decision that they're making. Does that answer it? I think Liz left. She did, yeah, but I'm sure it does. Okay. Any other questions before we move on? Not so far. Oh, hang on. I lied. Anne? Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I'm afraid I, I still don't understand. I mean, I understand Medicare and a supplement plan, but I, I really, I'm sorry, I still don't understand what a Medicare Advantage plan is, especially because a lot of them say on TV that there's no premiums. And so I, I'm just really confused about what that is. Please don't be sorry. That's exactly why I wanted to do this session. When I watch television or listen to commercials for Medicare Advantage plans, I usually end up having to bite my tongue or throw something because they are not very clear. And uh, that is partially by design because Medicare MCS doesn't allow them to to, uh, criticize other people's um, programs. So imagine that you're writing an ad, and I used to write radio ads many, many years ago. I would never want to write one for a Medicare Advantage company. Because a lawyer is going to look at every word you said and say, could somebody challenge it? So that's why they're confusing. Now, let me try to answer your question. Medicare Advantage plans have many, many sponsors. In the average area, a person has access to 30 plans. And there are, I don't even know the number of Medicare areas there are. It's it's over a 1,000. So throughout this company, country, I would be willing to bet there are more than 4,000 different Medicare Advantage plans. And those Medicare Advantage plans are sold by uh, brokers who have the opportunity to make a profit in one of two ways. One way is that they get a commission on the plan that you purchase. The other way, and this is the more common way, is that they now have access to enough information to sell you something additional. So if you think of a car, 
uh, and you buy a basic car, what's the first thing they do? Well, they sell you these uh, little dingle rings for your wheels that cost them 10 cents, but they charge $200. Or they sell you some insurance plan, you know, for internal maintenance of the car. Or they sell you internal, uh, you know, um, protection for the surface that costs them $5 and they charge you $100 for it. Those are the kinds of things that a broker likes to do. And Medicare Advantage gives them an opportunity to do that. So I'm not sure I've answered your question yet. Let me try to circle back to it more specifically. A Medicare Advantage plan is approved by Medicare. The sponsor of that plan is rated by a star system. You can measure Medicare Advantage plans by looking at the stars that they're, that they get. I believe it's five stars is the maximum. Very few companies get that. Some get four. Some get three, and if you have anything below that, you probably shouldn't do it. They uh, can offer different kinds of benefits, and we are headed into open enrollment. From uh, This is why I wanted to do this now. From October 15th to December 7th, you can make a change in a Medicare Advantage plan. And this is something that is not as financially risky or, or frankly, illiterate as trying to go to a Medicare supplement plan as you age. Because nobody is going to die dead even. You're either going to leave money on the table or you're going to die broke plus. Um, Remember, most of the cost of medical activities will come in the last three years of your life. So what we're really talking about is how that's going to be financed. So if you see an ad on television, for example, that says you can get a refund of $148 a month. Do you have any idea why you're getting that refund? Anybody? I'll give you a clue. You're paying a premium for part B. That premium is $148 a month. How would they refund that premium to you if they need Part A and Part B premium? Well, the way they do it is that if you fall below a certain income threshold, there are uh, programs that will subsidize your Part B premium. So when you hear on television that sign up for our plan and you may even be able to get $148 a month back, what they're really saying is, We are going to look at all of your income and tax documents, and if we can justify a rebate on your Medicare Part B premium, we get a sale because you get money. That's what's happening. It's not more complicated than that. Another thing that is happening is that when you go into a Medicare Advantage plan, they are by nature, remember, they're per capita. You're, they, they are paid per head. So what they are going to do is control their costs by limiting your network to who you can see. Now, I'm not going to try to impose my values on anybody else, but uh, I don't know that freedom uh, to pick any medical provider if I have a fatal disease, is worth spending $300 a month between the ages of 65 and 80 when I get that fatal disease 
when the outcome is virtually inevitable. Nobody is going to get out of life alive. I'm not suggesting that anyone should adopt my value system. But I am suggesting that when you make a purchase of a Medicare supplement, the the promoter of that plan is going to talk to you about freedom, a freedom of choice, and you will indeed have it. If you, if you buy a medical, uh, Medicare supplement plan, you better believe it. You're going to have choice of more doctors, but you're also going to have this obligation of this premium and, and a smaller uh, amount of money to spend. If you're wealthy and you can afford it, I got no problem with it. But before you do that, consider what impact that premium will have on your, uh, on your budget for the rest of your life because I've seen it over and over again that as people on fixed incomes get older and older, they think, well, where can I cut? Where can I cut? And the first thing is, well, gee, maybe I can cut this premium. And the truth is they can because if they stop paying the premium, uh, A, they won't have the coverage. But, you know, if the, the hospitals are still going to treat them and uh, if, if they choose a Medicare Advantage plan, they will have a narrower network but they won't have that cost. So this is all about uh, what happens 15 years from now, not necessarily today when you make that initial choice at age 65. Does that make sense? And does anybody have any addition? Does that answer your question about Medicare Advantage? Yes, it does. Thank you. Good. Medicare Advantage is over half the population is, is on it. And I think it will become an increasingly... Uh, popular choice, um, there is something, even with Medicare Advantage, uh, the, the government, on, uh, the Medicare only covers actually about 50% of medical costs. So we know that we have co-pays. What else isn't covered by, Medi- by Medicare in general? Uh, some durable medical equipment. Good. Some durable, um, I know answer. it from past experience. That's true. Unfortunately. Some durable medical equipment is not covered. What else? That's very good. Uh, there are drugs that are, are not covered. Drugs some drugs that are, that are not true. covered. That's true. Good. What else? Eyeglasses. Maybe eyeglasses. That would be durable medical equipment. Yes. Good. What else? This is a big ticket item that I'm thinking of. Oh, uh, long-term insurance. Long-term care insurance. That's right. Most people who go into a long-term care facility are going to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Now, what's going to happen if somebody has a need for a long-term care insurance, uh, they need to go into a nursing home, and they have a net worth of $80,000? What's going to happen? They won't have it long. No, that's not right. They will have it, but they will have it provided by Medicare. Well, they true. will have it provided true. at the at the, they're not going to lay in the street and die. No. Okay. So, I suggest and now this is an opinion which uh, some salespeople will disagree with me about. But I suggest that anybody who doesn't have a net worth that is significant, and that's probably more than $500,000 or more, should not even consider long-term care insurance. Why? Because the same reason 
that I that I'm talking about Medicare supplements. As you get older and your uh, your options for earning decrease and your assets decrease, it will be a temptation to drop that insurance. And I can tell you because I've seen it happen over 40 years that usually what will happen with long-term care insurance policies is that the insurance company will go to the commissioner and appeal for an increase in their premiums because their reserves are not keeping up with their payouts are not keeping up with their, with their input. So, uh, you know, if you have a significant amount of money that you want to protect for your heirs or for your spouse, it's a good deal. Other than that, uh, I would suggest that, you know, it, it is, uh, a product that the insurance company loves to sell because the agents make a good commission, but it may not be so good for you in the end. Any questions about that? Trying to avoid opinions, but trying to stick with the facts. Okay. We have 10 minutes. We're we're getting near the end. I have a couple of things I wanted to say to to wrap it up. Um, You know, this is the first time we've done this. I really appreciate, uh, you know, Bob and Larry suggest, Bob Acosta and Larry suggesting that we do this. Um, I, it's a subject I know I feel kind of strongly about, but I, I'm not sure that uh, we got a very large audience tonight and we will do the second one. Uh, whether we ever do another one on a, is, is a whole different question. Um, if anybody has anything they would like me to address next week specifically that they didn't get covered today, I would love to hear that right now. Yes, I do. Good. Yes. I want to know what different insurance companies my husband my husband worked for the government and he had Aetna a GEHA and I was wondering we now use that for me I have Medicare and he never had Medicare because he worked for the federal government so what they're doing with me is Medicare is my primary and GEHA is the secondary. And I, you know, has, have been debating and he has been wondering if I should go with, uh, you know, one of the Medicare supplements. And I'm wondering, you know, should I do that or should I stay with his? So far, I've liked what they've been doing. And I'm wondering, you know, if, you are with your husband's insurance and you like how they're handling things should i stay with it i love this question um i will try to address it next week and i will tell you what uh, i have to think about how to do it because um this i've always viewed this as being a fifty thousand foot discussion I mean, what I'm doing in this more open arena. If this was a private discussion between you and I, and there was nobody else listening in, I would want to know things like uh, your your combined net worth, uh, your uh, whether you have children, whether you have uh, a uh, whether you have a living will, whether you believe in DNRs. All of this stuff would be relevant to me. Uh, as I made a suggestion to you, because uh, uh, they affect uh, how dollars are spent. 
since we don't, we, we won't have that next week. If you will come next week, I will try to have a more extended discussion on how benefits are paid out by different entities. And I will try, it's going to be a little bit difficult, but I'm going to try to talk about the very specific case that you raise. And it's a, it's a really common and, and complicated case of retirees who still have benefits from their employer. This is not a very common situation, but I know it exists. And it, it absolutely uh, is why uh, advice that I might give you is very different than advice that I might give Larry. Does that make sense? She, I think she's muted, but it okay. does make a lot of sense. I'm here. Okay. okay. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. It's a very interesting question. And, you know, my husband and I have been debating. I want to ask you a couple of questions, and if you if, if any of these are too personal, just just stop me. What state yeah. are you in? What you physical state? We are you can in, talk. What state are you in? Are you in California? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, and uh, roughly, what is your age? Uh, oh, are you- I am sixty-two. Mm-hmm. And your husband is? He's 72. Yeah. This is going to be a really interesting, complicated discussion. I will be happy to have this discussion. And I think um, uh, the best thing I could do in this discussion next week is to help you think through the, the, uh, the points that you want to ask a salesperson. So since I have no commission to make on this, um, I will... I will talk about the things that I would look at if I were uh, your uh, your advisor on this. And since I have no opportunity to make a commission on it, I think you can trust that I'm just bringing up things I'd like you to consider. Um, just from the comments you made earlier, uh, I have a sense that you are not living on your last dollar. And that's fine. Not right now, no. <laughs> No, and that's fine. But, you know, again, I'm trying to keep out of personal opinions too much, but I do think that a single-payer system like they have in Canada is equitable. But it also uh, uh, creates a two-tiered health system. I think we are headed for a two-tiered health system, and I have no problem with it. I have no problem with the idea that if you're worth a million dollars, and I'm worth $1,000, our medical coverage will not be equal. Some people will object to that, but that's outside of anything I want to go into on this in this discussion. But that's essentially a piece of where this will go. So then it becomes only about trading um, trading dollars for risk management. Because, and, and this is where I'll start next week. What is insurance? We'll, tar- we'll start there next week. What really is insurance? Um, so I like that. Any other questions? Okay, good. So just to kind of bring this to a conclusion, um, uh, Medicare is uh, an extremely complicated infrastructure for social insurance. It is not private medical insurance. We do not have a single-payer system. 
we still have a great deal of free enterprise in our system. And most of the political discussion we have is an argument about single payer versus the free enterprise system. Um, there are many, many stakeholders in the Medicare discussion. If you tell me who says something, I can probably tell you why they said it. For example, there is a television commercial that is running right now that is very sympathetic. And it's some guy who's got some, you know, need for, it's kind of Larry's situation. He has a need for an expensive, in his case, drugs, though, not DME, but still he has a need for expensive drugs. And he says at the end of this, uh, negotiating prices is not the answer. And I've heard this commercial probably 50 times. And the other day I stopped it, I called Ira, and I had somebody read to me who sponsored this commercial. Well, this this commercial was sponsored by a group of drug manufacturers and Alzheimer's advocates. So all they're saying is we don't want to be pushed into a system where we're going to be limited as to what we can charge for the drugs and the services we provide. I don't think that's wrong, but I think it does complicate our discussion when we talk about, say, our system versus Canada's. If you're going to make a decision about whether you want uh, to uh, participate in open enrollment or you want an advantage program, I would suggest there are five things you need to think about. Number one, your personal values. Number two, your financial situation. Number three, your medical situation. Number four, the area you live in. And number five, what you want to leave behind because nobody is going to die dead even. So I hope that was uh, somewhat helpful. And uh, I'm pretty much done with what I wanted to say for tonight, Larry. If you, um, it, it, we'll do this again next week. Yep. And uh, same time, nine Eastern, six Pacific. Tell your friends if somebody missed it tonight. Um, I can get this up, and it'll be podcast, uh, and you'll have a chance to hear. And we'll do this again, and have lots of audience participation. And Alan, thanks so much for a terrific session. It's been great. It's been fun, and and we'll do it again next week. Okay, you're welcome. We'll see you guys next week. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye-bye.